Thanks for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is facts about the presidential election. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. Today, we're going to talk about the facts about the presidential election. And Dr. Merrill Matthews, our resident scholar and my colleague, is going to lead us in this discussion. So, Dr. Matthews, why are we today talking about facts about the presidential election? Well, Tom, a recent Morning Consult Politico poll found that 30% of Republicans believe Donald Trump will be reinstated as president before the end of the year, with many of them thinking it will be by August. I was at a dinner recently when a friend asked me what I thought the chances were that Trump would be reinstated in the White House by August. And I responded that I thought the chances were virtually zero, which seemed to be a little surprising to him. And he asked me to explain. So what I'm going to try to do is go through a few points to explain why I don't think he'll be reinstated uh, by August or by the end of the year. First off, there's only one constitutional process for unseating a current president, and that's impeachment. Uh, now, the Democrats have a lot of practice with impeachment recently. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to impeach Donald Trump twice. Uh, but no Democratic Congress, and that's who controls Congress right now, will vote to impeach Joe Biden. Uh, and even if they did vote to impeach him, the constitutional replacement for an impeached president is the vice president. That's Kamala Harris. Uh, and even if you could say we're going to impeach both uh, the president and the vice president, the the constitutional replacement for that in that case is the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. We're moving in the wrong direction here. No. We're, not, we're not getting better. So uh, I, I just I just think it's virtually impossible to get an impeachment from the Democrats for a Democratic president. So I just don't I don't see a constitutional process for getting the current president out and getting the past president in. Second, the Justice Department would have to be actively engaged in this. Now, on December 1st last year, you may remember Attorney General uh, William Barr said, and I'm quoting here, to date, we have no we have not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. And I want to just take a, what he said was really important. We need to sort of drill down on this a little bit. Attorney General Barr did not say there was no fraud in the election. There's generally fraud in elections all across the country. Here in Texas, um, Attorney General uh, Paxton has got a, a number of cases. If I remember right, it's 150, 200 cases that he's investigating of fraud in the past election. Those typically end up being just a small number, a handful of people. In some cases, it may be 50 or 100 or something. There was a case, uh, an, an allegation that a lady in a nursing home had been signing votes for a number of people there who weren't actually doing it. And that might have been a little bit over 100. So fraud goes on in the elections, but it's typically not huge numbers. It's usually in the fairly small numbers. And it's related to the states. Even if you found there was a fair amount of fraud in Texas, it's not going to affect the outcome of the election. 
So in generally speaking, there is fraud in elections. It's just, would you have it in the case of thousands of votes and in specific states that would have affected the outcome of the election? In fact, we here at IPI have done a couple of events over the last few years about vote fraud and, and election integrity and things like that. We did a couple of them with uh, John Fund. Right. Um, and the point is that is that there is often vote fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, and of both course, both attempted and then in yes, some cases exactly. actually actually yes. completed. And the the looser your election laws, mm-hmm. the more potential you create for greater amounts of vote fraud. Right. Um, and so I think that there's sort of an underlying thing here is that we're willing to grant that there's fraud, probably some degree of fraud, probably in almost every <laughs> in almost every election. Right. <laughs> now, you and I discussed ahead of time that we didn't want to turn this podcast into a discussion about whether or not the election was stolen and all of that sort of stuff. But I think this bizarre kind of thought that some people have that somehow six, six to eight months after an election was held, that somehow an election could be overturned. Um, you mentioned that there was no constitutional process for unseating an existing president other than impeachment. I think we need to really explain that there's no constitutional process for reinstating a president. Right. I mean, the way our elections work, remember that we're going to talk about the popular vote in a few minutes, but we don't elect a president based on the popular vote. We elect a president based on the electoral college, the electors that are appointed by the states to the electoral college. And according to our constitution, once a state has certified their electors, and once their electors have cast their vote with the electoral college, that's the end of the process. And even if a state didn't follow its own laws, and even if there was fraud, and even if it turns out that candidate A actually won a particular state, if the electors from that state cast their votes for candidate B, then candidate B wins. That's -hmm. the constitutional process. And so, you know, if a state has decided they're willing to tolerate fraud and a corrupt electoral process and that and that the voters of that state don't actually get their will expressed at the electoral college that's sort of the business of the voters of that state our constitution makes no provision for overturning the vote of the electors from a particular state. And of course, to your point, that's why a number of states are saying we want to come back and we want to make sure we ensure the integrity of the votes Mm -hmm. going forward. Uh, Even if we did not find uh, major elements of fraud or something like that. Now, Pennsylvania was a problem. Yeah, I think everybody concedes Pennsylvania was a problem. I, I have no doubt that eventually courts will find that Pennsylvania violated their own election laws. Right. I, have, I have no doubt that that will probably happen. But again, to go back to this point that I was trying to make earlier, even so, there is no process for overturning this, that state's electors. And even if you did overturn it, uh, that would not make enough difference in terms of right. Donald Trump would right. still not have gotten the 270 electoral votes right. he needed. Exactly. But just again, just to sort of just to sort of beat this dead horse, even if it turned out that the suspicions of some people turn out to be completely true, even if this, even if the suspicions of some people turn out to be true, that in several states there was significant enough fraud to, to affect the outcome of the election. Even in that worst-case scenario, there is still no constitutional provision for altering the decision that was made by the Electoral College. It's a done, permanent thing. Right. 
So the third thing I wanted to point out was just how anybody who tracks presidential elections and follows them knows that Republicans have they go into a presidential election with one, maybe even two strikes against them uh, against winning the presidency. And that's just based upon the current demographics. It, It is a tough it's harder to thread the needle for a Republican to get 270 uh, electoral votes than it is for a Democrat, the way things are set right now. Mm. So you have to go back to George Herbert Walker Bush in the 1988 election. He was the, he won a majority of the votes in that election, a majority of votes around the country between 1988 and currently only one Republican president actually won the majority of votes, and that was George W. Bush in 2004. That's one popular vote victory for a Republican in 33 years. And, of course, it's Electoral College, as you mentioned, that decides the winner. But it's really hard. If you're going to win presidential elections on a consistent basis and often, a party's going to have to win the majority of vote yeah. on a pretty recurring basis. Yeah. No, your 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 plan as a party can't be we're never going to win the popular vote of the country, but we we're always going to try to just eke out a bare electoral college result. Long term, mm-hmm. that's not going to be a sustainable plan. And as and as you point out, it doesn't often happen that right. way. And so we're going to have to find a Republicans are going to have to find a way to do that. Um. But were I'm, is it possible that some voting machines actually gave Joe Biden more votes than he really deserved? I don't know the answer to that. What I can say is that the polls going into this had Joe Biden winning by large numbers. Mm. And, of course, the polls are not affected by the voting machines that people actually voted on. And uh, ironically, the polls were actually over predicted for Joe Biden than, than he actually won. And mm. that's been something where the pollsters have come back and said, we're not sure why we got such big majorities for Joe Biden. He ended up winning. In fact, I, I think the only poll this past election that had Donald Trump winning was Trafalgar poll. Mm. And, and the head of the Trafalgar polling system said, we're, we're specifically trying to find those hidden Trump voters, which apparently there are some. Uh, but it wasn't enough to overturn, I mean, to, to get them that majority. So uh, the polls and the general sentiment of the public just looked like it was moving in Biden's direction and not Trump. Right. And, and we should also, I think, point out that in 2016, it was a similar situation. I think that most right. of the polls showed Hillary Clinton winning. I think most people expected Hillary Clinton to win. I think on election night, most people thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, and, and it was two or three hours into you know the election returns before it started dawning on people that something really interesting was going on and that Hillary Clinton did not have it in the bag. It's, it's interesting that you make that case because I remember in that election, about a week or 10 days before the, before the actual election, you could see the polls beginning to shift a little bit towards Donald Trump. Mm. Now, they, weren't, they didn't shift enough to give him the popular vote. He lost the popular vote. Right. But it did shift enough to give him uh, the states and the electoral votes that he needed. Right. But, you know, even in uh, speaking of the polls, uh, Donald Trump's own internal polling had him losing. Elisa Farah, who was the communications director, she resi- resigned on December the 3rd, and she came out in January, and she told Politico that the results of the election almost perfectly aligned with the White House's own internal polling, except for Georgia. She said, we thought we were going to win Georgia, but we knew we were going to take Florida. We thought uh, we uh, 
uh, knew we were going to have struggles in Pennsylvania and even Arizona, but we thought we were going to take Georgia, and we didn't do that. So it, it's interesting that even their own internal polling sort of reflected the polling and the actual election results. The fourth point, down-ballot Republicans did really well in, in, yeah. in this. And that's been something people have gone and looked at and said, you know, it's interesting that um, Donald Trump sort of underperformed most Republicans around the country. And you found that in a number of states. Uh, you found that in Texas where uh, John Cornyn, a senator running on a statewide race, an incumbent senator, uh, I think his percentage points were about 10 points above the Democrat and whereas President Trump's was only, I think, about three or three, three and a half percentage points. Yeah, around. I mean, my understanding is almost everywhere Trump underperformed sort of the generic Republican, on at least at the national level, on the national ballot, whether it's for congressional races or Senate races. And, and so it, that would make the case, I mean, if you were making the case that somehow the, the voting machines flipped it, but in fact, those, it still sort of matched the polling that was going on out there. So Republicans did really well in that election. Mm-hmm. Fifth point, the, the key states that they want to focus on, of course, Arizona and um, Georgia, and then Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Trump won those three states. But I want I just point out that he won them by very, very slim majorities. And and again, you're talking about in 2016, In 2016. Right. right. And he won those by about 80,000 votes total. So about 10,000 votes for Wisconsin, uh, I think 46,000 in um, Michigan and maybe 22,000 in Pennsylvania. You add them all up. And in those three states, he won by about 80,000 votes total. That's a really small number. And the interesting thing is those were not Republican states. Those are Democratic states. That's what was so surprising. And why Democrats, one of the reasons why Democrats had such difficulty in believing Trump won is because he won those three Democratic states. Hillary Clinton didn't even uh, campaign in Wisconsin. That was became an issue. And and I and I think we really ought to, for the purposes of this podcast, we really ought to stress this, that in twenty, the, the surprise in 2016 was that Trump won. Right. Uh, and so it's a little bit of a puzzle why so many Republican voters seem to just be absolutely convinced that the only way Trump could have lost in 2020 was widespread, organized fraud, because it was a shocker that he won in 2016. It was by the skin of his teeth that he won in 2016. And then, of course, you had the problems with COVID and all that sort of thing that affected the second term election. So, you know, there's no reason to think that the only possible explanation for a Trump loss in 2020 is some sort of highly organized conspiracy. And so you have to go back to 1988 again, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush, to find any Republican president who won any of those three states. He won Pennsylvania and Michigan in that election, but he didn't get Wisconsin. So um, it's it it's those three states have been Democratic strongholds for the presidential elections for mm-hmm. some time. That's not for their state legislature, but for the Dem- for the presidential election has been for a long time. Well, then number six, what about Georgia and Arizona? Well, the interesting thing is Arizona has been turning a little more bluish for a while. It's I, I'm, you might even call it a purple state where the, you can win as a, as a Republican statewide. But they've had two elections for senators. Those are statewide elections. And Arizona now has two Democratic senators. Um, so it just sort of gives the indication that 
Democrats are are making a stronger showing in that state, even though they've got a uh, an audit going on in the state of Arizona. It may turn out that they found out that they find out that Republicans actually won that at the presidential level. Um, but even if they did, that doesn't overturn the election right. because you still don't get 270 electoral votes. Exactly. So uh, and as far as Georgia goes, uh, my goodness, Stacey Abrams, after she lost that election in a fairly close election against uh, Governor Kemp a few years ago, she got active and started energizing, registering voters and other things and had a pretty successful effort doing that. So the fact that Georgia ended up going um, uh, going Democratic in this from the presidential election was a bit of a surprise, but there were efforts going on to try to do that. So I think there are lex- uh, lessons for Republicans here in this. Number one, Democrats are are working hard to try to go out and register voters. Uh, in our own state, Texas, Beto O'Rourke is out on a voter registration drive right now. News is covering it. He's he's uh, pushing aside any notion that, that he's going to run again. He said he may do that, but his goal right now is to register voters to turn Texas blue. They're doing that, and they're doing a good job of trying to get those voters registered. So that's a lesson here. But another lesson is, interestingly, and this is another surprise from the 2020 election, Republicans actually outperformed, Donald Trump specifically outperformed among some minority communities, both Hispanics and blacks. He outperformed. And that was a surprise to an awful lot of people. You saw this showing up in the polling as more and more blacks and especially men, uh, uh, black Hispanics and blacks and Hispanics and especially males were saying they were polling better for Donald Trump than they had been in the past. That's long been a Democratic stronghold as Mm -hmm. well. And that may be changing. So Republicans have some work to do, I think. But they also have some good news here in that they've begun to reaching out to certain minority groups and are attracting them to conservative values mm-hmm. that we've long thought you should be you should be if if Republicans are going to uh, be able to do this, they need to be able to reach those populations. And generally speaking, they're conservative values, and, and it looks like they are beginning to, those votes are beginning to turn more conservative. So if you want to win elections, you have to have a message that appeals to people. Right. And you have to at least, at least work at an equal level to your opponent in getting out the votes. And I think we can, we can speculate that part of why Republicans did better with, with blacks and Hispanics in 2020 was that Republicans really did deliver for them. I mean, we know that yes. before COVID came along— you had the lowest rates of unemployment for blacks and Hispanics. It recorded history. And, of course, we would say that was at least partially because of the tax reform and the tax cuts and things like that. So so Republicans really did deliver for those communities. So it, it makes some sense that they would actually be uh, more attracted to vote for them. And I think the other thing I would speculate is that the, is that the Democrats just really screwed up with all of the defund the police and all the rioting and stuff like mm-hmm. that yes. in 2020, because the communities who want strong, effective policing <laughs> are minority communities who tend to live in areas where there is more potential for violence and things like that. And that showed up in the congressional election as Nancy Pelosi was out thinking she was going to have expand her majority at the time and maybe even get to a supermajority and maybe even have uh, a strong uh, uh, 
Democratic vote in the Senate. And in fact, uh, no state legislature actually flipped and Republicans did very well in the congressional races. And Nancy um, Pelosi has the thinnest of majorities right now in the House. And of course, a 50-50 in the Senate. So um, it's it's an interesting election. I don't know that any of us really predicted it going quite like this. And as you pointed out the uh, earlier, uh, Democrats took a number of steps to try to get more people voting. There's concerns about that, which is why some of the states are trying to come back and say, we want to make sure that these are set and uh, available and we're not opening up to more fraud. Uh, but there are some uh, some good points in the election that Republicans uh, were able to achieve in mm-hmm. terms of just expanding the minority vote for them. Sure. Let's wrap up with this. When you and I were talking about uh, doing this topic on the podcast today, we we determined we wanted to really just focus on just facts and not get deeply enmeshed in, you know, some of the conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And I think that really that really matters. Uh, People, both political parties have got to come to terms with facts rather than just with their own suspicions or their conspiracies. And the reason I mentioned that is that just a few days ago, the Democrats came out with their post-election autopsy. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting. It was it was a very serious admission that they didn't do as well as they expected to in Congress and the Senate and in and in the House. And they were very, frankly, blunt and and forthright with their own message problems. And they identified things like defunding the police and some of the social justice messages as not working with some of their core demographic demographic voters. Mm -hmm. Um, and they talked about the fact that the political violence and the rioting almost certainly hurt them and undermined them. Republicans, meanwhile, it seems to me, are still deluding themselves and are still pretending that the reason that they lost in 2020 was because other people did them wrong. And it strikes me that not until Republicans are willing to actually just sort of just come to terms with just the facts will they be able to do their own sort of personal inventory and their own autopsy about, you know, what were our successes and what were our failures in 2020? Where did we do well and where did we do poorly? You got to be able to do that if you expect to do better next time. And I think the Democrats are further down that road than the Republicans are right now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, How about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's new Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.